to Afraid Not Podcast with Jill McCormick and Robin Wall. We believe that our stories matter and make us who we are. Every other week, we invite guests to join us and share their stories. Even though our stories have nots, we are not afraid. Our stories are afraid. They are not perfect. We believe the truth of our mess makes us stronger. We hope that God uses these stories to encourage and strengthen your faith as you trust in Him. Our theme verse is Colossians 1, 17, which says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, even our frayed knots. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. And this is Afraid Not Podcast. You are listening to episode 104, and we are so delighted to have LaShawn Hill as our guest today. And you guys, this is a dear friend that I got to reconnect with. We have known each other since we were teenagers, and we were in the youth group together at Northwest Baptist Church in Oklahoma City. We went to youth camp together. We went to youth choir together. We sang and performed. We did like... Um, I have fun memories of being at Falls Creek with her. And there's a little story we'll tell in a little bit. You'll hear it. Um, But what a fun gift from the Lord that he brought our paths back together. And she is now at OBU. She is the clinic director for there. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist at Oklahoma Baptist University. We're just so excited she came today. What an amazing conversation. She's going to talk about some trauma that she went through as a child and how that has affected her her life. We do talk about depression and suicidal ideations, um, just to give you a heads up. But um, this is a very important, very needed conversation that uh, is a, we just should all listen to. Um, she talks about having dr- visions and dreams from the Lord which we love that. It's just, there's so much in this. I can't even start to tell you how much it was great. And you're like, I was sobbing through half the whole thing, but anyway. So you may need some Kleenex if you have <laughs> listeners, but listen, you know what you're going to feel when you hear LaShawn's story, you're going to know that the Lord sees you. That's one of the things that she just conveys in her story. What a great story. Please listen in. You're going to love it. Hey, LaShawn, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be able to be a part. We are super excited that you're here. And in the intro, I told everyone how we go way back. And it's just so fun to have a reconnection with someone that was a part of my growing up. And, you know, we knew each other. We were in the journey of our, you know, middle school, high school, experiences of youth group stuff. And one of my favorite memories with you, LaShawn, is being in our ensemble at church. And we sang, and I think it was called Shekinah Glory. Doesn't that sound like a fancy name? I know, right? (laughs) It was. And we got to just have some really good memories and make some really good music. I remember you are a very beautiful singer. Mm. And... You were actually, I have to tell this super fun story. Listeners, you might get a kick out of this. The very first date, very first night I ever spent time with my husband, Chris Wall. LaShawn was there. And 
Chris asked me on an icy date at Falls Creek. Oh, at Falls Creek. And LaShawn was right there. And we were just talking. And he said, and you feel free to join in, LaShawn. And he had just met you. And LaShawn was like, well, that's really nice. Okay. So the three <laughs> of us went and got an icy. So it was basically like Chris treated both of us to yeah. the icy date at Falls Creek. Oh, yeah, I was listening to one of your podcasts and you were mentioning about how you guys met and I go, oh, yes, Falls Creek. Like I totally remember him coming into the cabin and I can't remember who he was with. And, you know, back then you couldn't you had to stay in pairs. And so, yeah, I definitely remember um, I remember meeting him at Falls Creek. And uh, yeah, that, what a it's neat to see what God has done moving forward, like to see where we are today. And, um, and I just saw, I just saw your girl right before you I came over here. My daughter, today. So my daughter Maggie's at OBU and she's a freshman and listeners, you're about to hear how the Lord has brought this awesome journey back around for LaShawn. And here she is on the campus at OBU. So yeah. I'm glad you saw my girl today. That's so fun. So, um, well, we are so thrilled to welcome you to Afraid Not, and we're honored that you spend time with us, and our listeners would like to get to know you too. So why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners, and we'll just take it from there. Yeah, so my name is LaShawn Hill, and um, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I have specialized working with children and teens and families, um, a real passion for our leaders. So working a lot with leaders and educating churches as well around mental illness and working with clergy to provide that support. Um, what does mental illness look like and how do we how do we how do we handle this in the church and connecting the resources? So those are some of my passions. Um, and I've worked outpatient, inpatient, a lot of time as a first responder doing community mental health. So going out to where people are experiencing crises and just being able to usher in healing and hope, which is a blessing to be a part of that. Um, I am the second of six children, and you'll hear more about my story later, Um, a family with a lot of trauma and, you know, and still very afraid. So I love the name of the podcast. I'm still very afraid as a result of the trauma. Um, and I get a chance to work at my alma mater, which is Oklahoma Baptist University. I'm the director of our clinic and also part of our team of faculty at our marriage and family therapy master's program that we have. Um, probably my favorite thing ever is that I have spent over 25 years now Oh, gosh, I just thought about my age. Um, <laughs> over 25 years um, serving in ministry. And that has been the joy of my heart and my passion. Um, after I graduated from OBU, I moved to California. I thought I was going to Africa. That was my heart and my passion since I was a teen, to go to Africa with the Southern Baptist Mission Board and and that didn't happen. He sent me to California. And so I stayed in California in over that 20 years, um, the East Coast as well, and working with, um, I was on the staff with, for several years at the Dream Center, the Los Angeles Dream Center with um, Pastor Matthew Barnett um, in the early years. And it was really fun. I was there as a children's pastor. I started out 
and with Metro Kids International. And so if anybody knows Metro Kids, they know Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson, um, it's like a modern day Apostle Paul. And when you think about his heart and what he built for street kids. Um, and so we are reaching about 4,000 kids a week um, in the urban inner cities. Um, and so it was just a special time for me. And, um, and I always tell people that I feel like working with the population of homelessness, which is pretty significant and large in, um, in California, um, heading up a group, reaching pimps and prostitutes and pulling women out of the sex industry, you know, but these are the people that really taught me to how to worship the Lord really well mm. and to be authentic. And so it's been a privilege over these 30 years just to authentically love Christ. And, um, and that love and that teaching came through unexpected places. So that's, that's me. So what brought you back to Oklahoma? Oh, beautiful question. If God tells you, girl, you let me know. (laughs) (laughs) I never in a million years thought I would ever come back to Oklahoma. It was never a plan. Um, And I just, I would come back and visit Um, our youth pastors, um, you know, who I lovingly have always called my godparents since I was a kid um, in such a huge part of my life are still in my life. And um, I would come back and visit um, kids that I had as a youth leader here. Now they're adults. And so I would get involved in things that they were doing when I would visit. And I just felt this nudge to come back. Um, I had no idea why. He never gave me a why, which has been really hard for me because every place he sent me, he's given me a why. And he just said, I just need you to trust me and follow me. And so the day I left California, literally the day I got on the road, my baby sister was shot by a road rage driver. Three days later, my mother ended up in the hospital fighting for her life. And so both of them have survived. But I think about how timely and how perfect his timeliness is. His timeliness is because I was able to meet the movers here, throw everything you know, in the house and then go spend my first month um, there with them. And what a privilege, you know, to have been. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So what made you decide to go into therapy? Oh, great question. So I honestly didn't know what a therapist was. I, um, you know, I didn't come out of a culture that, you know, being African-American and I was born and partially raised on the South side of Chicago until we moved to Oklahoma. Um, and so in an urban community at that time, I never heard about a therapist. Um, I came, I'm an early seventies kid. So um, very much, you know, we went to church when Jesse Jackson was a pastor. We were part of his church. Um, We were part of community work. We gave back, you know, and so it was a real sense of it takes a village to raise a child. So never did I hear the word counselor or therapist. And then when we moved out here, and so at OVU, I took a class. I was a ministry student. I took a class. And it was, we had these two-way mirrors and you would sit in the class and our professor, we had headphones on and you would sit in front of your partner 
And he would say, ask them this and ask this and look at your body language. And, you know, and I thought, wow, your body language says all that to somebody or you could ask a question. So the girl asked me a question. I can't remember her name. And you guys, I just totally broke down in class. I was so embarrassed, but I was also stunned because I never had that happen to me before in a setting like that. And I just thought it was phenomenal. So I switched my internship for my major and studying and doing youth ministry because I was already in youth ministry. I went in as a chaplain in the hospital and have loved it. I'm like, this is, this is where I sit, to sit with people in their, their worst times, um, kind of Jesus in his garden moment. That's what I tell people when people are in their garden to have the privilege to sit with them in it. And so um, it's been phenomenal and I wouldn't change it. That's really good. I like that garden moments. Mm. Did you always want to go into ministry? Yeah. So for me, my parents, and so you'll find out a little bit my history now, my, um, my parents, my mom was a teen mom. So she had my brother at 16 and me at 18. I think my dad is two years older than my mom. And so they were together. Um, they married and everything. And, um, but being young, um, and they were musicians. So we've studied music our entire life. And, um, but there was also a lot of alcohol and I call I told people, it just looks like a saloon, you know, um, people drink and they fight. Um, and unfortunately cause harm to one another. And so we had a night where um, one of their fights really got out of control and almost cost my mom her life. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty brutal. And I mean, there was blood everywhere. My brother and I were soaked in blood. We were trying to stop the bleeding from her head until help got there. How and old were you at this time? I was eight when this happened. I was eight. My brother was 10 and um, it was just the two of us at that time. And so I had spent so much time with my grandmother because this was a this was a pattern of drinking, fighting, end up at grandma's house because the police were at your house all the time. And so I slept on a mattress on my granny's floor and uh, my granny just passed a couple of weeks ago, but I had the privilege because of sleeping in her room, she would pray over all her children. And the neat thing that I treasure now is not only did I hear her pray, I got a chance to see what she prayed in her prayer closet because I was in the room. I actually got a chance to see this stuff happen. And I thought it was pretty phenomenal. And my grandmother would always tell me, you're not like everybody else. I really always struggled to feel like I fit in. Um, I was very proper speaking, very, very regal. That's the only, <laughs> I'm super cheesy girly and I know it. I owned all of it. And, so, and I've been like that forever. And so this particular situation, when it happened and my mom was in a hospital, granny walked into the room and she looked right at me, put her finger up and said, your mom is going to be all right. Do you understand me? And I said, okay. And I knew it. I, you know, I had seen her pray. So at that time, 
we went to the hospital, but they would not let the children in because of the trauma. They didn't allow children to see their um, parents like that. So I could see my mom's foot. And I remember praying, God, would you let my mom live? And um, my granny woke up that morning singing Precious Lord. And even at eight years old, everything about that song, take my hand, lead me on. I mean, and I just in by myself in my granny's room in the mattress. And I said, I don't know what granny has, but I want it. And that's what I told God. I just wanted what she had. And I literally felt this warmth come over me. And this is why as a children's pastor, I always tell people, do not under the same Holy Spirit that lives within you, lives within our children when they give their heart to Jesus. Do not underestimate who he designed them to be. Be curious and find out. And so that morning, and I was changed. I felt it. I knew it. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. People were not actively walking with Christ. Um, and so what I had a beautiful always, salvation story though. That's what a beautiful childlike prayer. Yeah. I mean, what do you do? You don't, you just, you know, and then he literally, my mom lived and I knew then just like granny, like God was listening, like he did it, you know? And after, right after that, immediately I start having visions and dreams and I saw myself preaching. I mean, I didn't know at the time that's what you called it, but I would see myself walking across the stage and just speaking and just, you know, and, um, and then I would go to church with granny and I would see the pastor walking across the stage. And I'm like, that's what I saw in my dream. I mean, I didn't know to tell anybody, but that was it. Like he was doing what I envisioned myself in these dreams doing. Um, and so all throughout the rest of my life, God had, really was Joseph. Um, he would speak to me with dreams and then I will watch him unfold. So. Sean, that is so beautiful and so cool. I mean, <laughs> we know the Bible tells us that our God speaks in whatever way he wants to. And mm-hmm. I love it that he spoke to you in dreams and visions. I yeah. love it. And then the moment that you heard your grandma singing, Precious Lord, take my hand. That yeah. that was just the connection point. I mean, I don't know, listeners, if you know that dear, wonderful hymn, but you should look it up today, Google it, and just listen to it and just let it be the Lord's message for you today, too. But oh my goodness, this mm-hmm. is so precious and amazing. And the fact that as a young girl, you were already getting dreams and visions, letting you know God's hand was on you. This is big. <laughs> And I think it's important because we really don't talk about that much. I don't think in the Baptist church about dreams and visions. Right. So I think, and like, I think it's an amazing topic to talk about. Or even spiritual gifts. Like uh, my parents, my mom found out she was pregnant with my sister. So there's nobody else for nine years. And then in the midst of trauma, she finds out she's pregnant. My parents had decided divorce they called me and my brother in the room and they said we can't stay together because somebody's going to end up dead my brother and I were totally okay with them not being together because Mm -hmm. we were like 
this this pattern of fighting. Um, but we also had to choose which parent we were going to live with. Hmm. Um, that I don't so hard. Yeah, I don't think I realized until later how much it affected me because no matter what you do, you feel like you're disappointing somebody. Um, I took the easy way out. I did. I followed my brother because one thing I knew in trauma, kids who go through trauma, man, they get together like glue as siblings. And and so eventually my mom met somebody else who moved us to Oklahoma and um, when we moved to Oklahoma, Northwest Baptist had a bus ministry, and God was gracious. I don't think we were there a week, and we got a knock on the door by this amazing man. I don't know if you remember him, uh, Robin Wayne Kime. I do. I oh, do. Remember. What a godly man! Yes. Yes. Totally loved the Lord. Completely, just whatever whatever he had, he just wanted to give it to the kids. I mean, and he wanted to make sure you showed up for church and you knew Jesus. And I mean, he was at your house every Saturday and every Sunday to pick you up. And so I did. I brought me and my siblings were always with me. And uh, and it was at Northwest Baptist Church that I had been having dreams and visions. I had known all this. But as far as knowing the word, um, that's where it started for me, walking in my gifts, like walking into our youth pastor's office tray. And I'm a nerd. So he had all these books and I'm like, what's this? And he said, it's a concordance. And I'm like, what's a concordance? And he starts talking about Hebrew and Greek and all the stuff that you can learn about the Bible. And I'm like, there is more like I was. And so I would take my Sunday school lessons. Can I borrow your concordance? And he did not want to give me his books, but I would wait for him to, while I'm waiting on him to finish up counseling somebody, I would be looking at my Bible study stuff in his concordances. But then I would come to Sunday school and be like, well, so the Hebrew said this, and what about this? And so they were like, we have got to do something with her because she's asking questions that nobody else. I don't think anyone about. else in our youth group was coming to our small group time with concordance references. Yeah. I think that you were pretty extraordinary coming to the, I'm sure your small group leader was like, oh my goodness, help with this amazing student. What do I do? She's talking about Greek. (laughs) Exactly. Well, it was funny because they had to have a whole conversation about what to do with me. And it was because of that, like Trey started me teaching and I loved it. So my entire life, I loved to write. And one of the things that God did in my life, even growing up as a kid, is I would win writing competitions that would allow me opportunities to do things. So they would let me come and I'd get a chance to teach. Plus, I would rewrite the Sunday school lessons. I'm like, can I? I think the kids will know it this way better. And they would let me make stuff, be creative and just go for it. That's amazing. Wow. And then your dad, um, Paul, um, I still remember the day we were singing this like gospel song and me, I came out of a black church. So I was like, um, we need some flavor to this. (laughs) (laughs) So I went to him and I could hear this ad-libbing part. And I said, can I do this? And Paul was phenomenal. 
we still talk about the things that Paul allowed us to do as kids, the utter creativity he gave us. And so um, he said, yes. And this was like Sunday at the main church. Like this was not like a Wednesday small church moment. And he let me do it. Um, And I remember he said to the congregation, I want you to know she wrote that herself. Wow. And I was so stunned that a him and then somebody who was an adult would just acknowledge my gifts yeah um what a big deal that he let me do it and then gave credit and say she wrote this you know yeah and so that was so special um I went on my first missions trip through northwest I had no idea that there were orphanages I again I grew from a community where the community raised the children and I was stunned and I did not want to come back. I cried all the way back um, because I could not understand, God, these kids want me to stay here, but you're sending me back home to trauma. It does not make sense to me that you would send me back and these kids are in need. But then I also made a decision at that age that I didn't want to have children. If there was this many people in the world that needed to be mothered, I would care for them. It just never made sense to bring children into this world. And I, I have spent my life doing that, you know, even youth kids or whatever, I will care for them. And that has been a passion. So for me, that's why I grew spiritually and in my gifts, but I deeply struggle with depression. I deeply struggle with suicide. I could not understand and reconcile hearing about God on Sunday and Wednesday and spending so much time at church and coming home to this. And it felt like the closer I got to the Lord, the worse things in the home got. And of course, now we know spiritual warfare. I didn't know any of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so some women in the church began to teach me how to pray. But again, the more I prayed, the more I interceded, the worse it got. And I was also responsible for my siblings. Um, so there were three of them now. So um, their set of twins came. And so I, you know, I just didn't know how to handle this. And so I thought, you know, being in heaven sounds better. We had somebody come and speak at Northwest about revelations in heaven and all this. And I was good after that. And I, I was good. I had no desire to live. Mm. So trying to balance out being called, being gifted, and yet living in darkness. And then we moved my junior year. We moved from Oklahoma and I got worse. Um, I downward spiraled. I Where'd you move to at that point? We moved to Texas for a year um, for my junior year. And then, and I just deeply miss my youth group, my church, my, um, yeah, that was your anchor. It was everything. And the only good thing about Texas, I was with one of my first cousins. So we went to school together, but my grades began to plummet. I was a really good student and my grades just took a plummet. And then we moved my senior year. And when we moved my senior year, I just full on depression and I barely graduated from high school. Um, that's how poor my grades were. Of course, now I know trauma in the brain and what happens. Um, 
and I ended up at OBU. So I told the Lord, you have a month, you have a month. Either I graduate and you find me a college to go to, or I'll be dead in a month because I will not live the rest of my life the way this has been. You have a month. And I was very angry and I was very bitter and I was very matter of fact. Like this time it won't be an attempt. I'm done. So Trey calls and says, hey, have you thought about OBU? And I was like, well, no, because in my head it was some white Ivy League school. I'm like, I can't even get into state school with my grades. What am I going to do with, you know, some Ivy League school? So he said, would you be willing to consider? And I said, absolutely. Then I got a call from Dr. Bob Agee. He was the president at the time, inviting me to OBU. But nobody but me. This is actually the first time I've publicly even told the story. Um, Oh, I'm so excited to hear it. (laughs) Nobody but me knew what I prayed to God. I I never told a soul. Um, So for me, he was inviting me to college. But to me, what I heard was God answer my prayer. Yes. Yeah. So to be back at OBU now feels a little bit like the Israelites in your memorial stone of, um, I went to school because that was God's answer that I wanted you to live. Mm-hmm. And I knew that if God wanted me to live, there was a reason for me to be alive. So I gave God my yes. And I told him, if you want me to alive, then I'm giving you my yes. And I'm going to do everything you told me to do because I know you have purpose. And that's just how I have lived my life. Just giving him my yes and doing everything he's asked me to do to be obedient. And not because it was hard, but because I knew he wanted me alive. Mm -hmm. LaShawn, your story is just getting better and better. I, I just think it's so extraordinary how extravagant the love of our father is that he would not just answer your prayer with like a pamphlet in the mail or like some letter that you get inviting you. No, no. The president of the university will call you personally. I've never heard of that ever. Ever. No. Do you think, did Trey just have the strong, did Trey just have a strong feeling that you should be there? And contact people. So Trey and Janie were our youth pastors. And they literally were like mom and dad to me. And they, um, Janie is still mom to me. Like she's still got mom. I still call her mom. My mom knows them. <laughs> like um, she's, you know, she is still there. In fact, um, their kids all call me sister. Oh, I love that. We've known each other. So they're like, you should be my sister. Um, so I think because of knowing, I mean, Trey had always been pretty in tune. He would, God used him pretty significantly to guide my life. Um, but he would never tell me what to do. Um, the only time he ever flat out really is when I was dealing with suicide. And he finally said to me, this has got to stop. And he says, sweetheart, I love you, but you're, you gave your life to Jesus. It is no longer yours. It does not belong to you. You don't have the right to take it. Um, and I knew in concept that that was right, 
I didn't know how to live that out, but I knew that Jesus had given his life on the cross for me and rose three days later so that I could have life that I was convinced of. Um, and I knew he was right. It didn't belong to me anymore. But by my senior year and after losing all of my support, like Robin and everybody sent me this big care package. Um, and it had everybody's pictures in it. And I held on to that for dear life. I don't know when I finally lost that. At some point, I had it for years. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think Trey, I think God just spoke to him and he knew. And Janie was just supportive. Like, they treated me like one of their kids. At night, when I stayed at their home, um, they would split up. They would always go and they would switch up. One would be with their son, the other one would be with the daughter, and then they switch up and pray with them. Then they would both come into my room and pray with me. Wow. I was just another child, and they treated me just like that. I knew Trey and Janie were special, but to hear this real amazing connection that is beautiful and new to me that I love that I love yeah. that yeah so yeah. it's a privilege and it's a privilege to still have them you know at my age and they're still you know Janie is still very much involved in my life um deeply like <laughs> you know involved and so yeah so when your mom finally left your dad and came here, that didn't necessarily fix things and make everything better. Was stepdad just as bad? Um, no, I'm, I mean, I don't refer to him as my stepdad. Um, he is the father of my younger siblings, so the twins. And my baby brother was born when I was at OBU. So that's, you were talking about completely gender, different generations. Yeah. Um, and so... But when we met him, he was not. He was an excellent saxophone player, um, phenomenal musician, very involved in church. And um, I think it just, it has broken my heart to not see him be able to maintain that stance. And then he also later began to have some substance abuse challenges but he was never, um, I never experienced him personally as being abusive or anything like that towards, you know, towards me. Um, but it just saddens me, you know, but he has come back to the Lord. He's back in church now. And, and so it's fun to see a redemptive life as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that night when you were eight, did one of you end up having to call 911 or how did that yeah, um, if I recall correctly, I remember my brother holding my mom's head together because in order to stop the bleeding from literally just pouring out of her scalp, she, um, I, I, can't, I still remember her yelling, just put pressure, put pressure. And so my brother was holding her head. I was on the, I think I was on the phone. Um, only thing I remember about my dad I remember him, um, there was like glass everywhere. He was cut and I just remember the look in his eyes. I Like I've never seen anybody with such fear and yeah, I mean, just, yeah. And I remember my mom wasn't out of the hospital yet, but he had picked us up from granny's and we were at home with him and I had never heard my dad cry before. 
And he literally was on the bed sobbing. And all he kept saying is, God, I can't do this anymore. God, I can't do this anymore. Mm. So that was the first time I really heard him just cry. So the stuff that came after them not being together really wasn't a shock. Um, But the agony to watch them both. And then before we left, they had separated um, my sister was now born. We were visiting my dad and we were having a family cookout on my dad's side and actually got caught in the middle of a shootout. Um, mm-hmm. This person came shooting. So we all just dove. And so we watched my dad get shot. And um, and I remember calling my aunts. And so we got to the hospital. My dad did survive. Um, They never took the bullet out because of where it had lodged, but he survived. And, um, but I remember the same thing in the hospital. I, I remember his foot um, because you couldn't see your, you couldn't see your um, parents when a traumatic thing happened. Like they, they wouldn't let kids go in the ICU and all that stuff. I just remember them rolling him away. And I remember seeing his foot. And I did the exact same thing I knew to do. I prayed and asked God to let my dad live. And he did, you know, and maybe it's my own arrogance that's like, God, listen to me. Like, I truly believe he listened to me and he let both of my parents live. I think that was his sign to me that I am hearing you. And now thinking about how the seat you're in Mm -hmm. of, being a marriage and family counseling specialist, mm. therapist, and, and helping educate OBU students as well with this entire, what an amazing field. What do you know now when you talk about all of these traumatic things that eight-year-old LaShawn lived through and nine and 10-year-old and, you know, all the things that now sitting where you are now mm-hmm. um what are some of the things that strike you looking back at your story just kind of in the lens of how god was looking out for you even in the midst of it of the trauma um what i know now is that he sees everything um i really struggled in my 30s um my account my counselor asked me what are you worth to God? And much to my amazement, all these years of ministry, I had no answer for him. And he knew me. So he was stunned too. And he says, okay, a purse has value. Your purse is leather. It has value. What value are you to God? And I was stunned. I had no answer for him. And what I had learned in that moment is I had lived my life for the Lord because I knew he wanted me alive. I had never reconciled that he watched bad things happen to me. And what do you say about a God like that? And that came up in that moment. And then as I started going through, I remember things that the people who were raising us would say, and you knew at that moment there was a level of conviction for them. Um, And God had spoken to them, but you realize it's up to that person to be obedient. And so I, he started track, literally, it's just like watching a movie trail of watching moments 
where I'm like, oh, this person, they knew that they were broken. They saw, you know, help in, there were times that they did seek help and you realize that God had been speaking to them, but they have to choose obedience. Just like we choose our obedience. We give God our yes. And it wasn't because God, it was because they made choices and out of their brokenness, they broke other people. Mm-hmm. But I had to go through a lot of deliverance and healing and uh, Pastor Jack Hayford in California, I love Pastor Jack. He had a ministry at the time called Cleansing Streams. And it was through Cleansing Streams that God started showing me that he actually was there when I thought he was gone. And it took me a long time to reconcile that he truly was there. He, his power wasn't gone. His power didn't leave. And then when I start learning about spiritual warfare, it made sense why things in my house heated up the closer I got to the Lord. So there had always been a plan on my life that if the enemy could take me out, he would. Yeah. And so even knowing that how, how um, suicide and death can even be pushed by warfare, you know, there's something behind that. And so it forced me when I learned about spiritual warfare, um, that if this doesn't line up to Christ, then where is this coming from? Who wants me dead? And why does the enemy want me dead? All the more reason for me to live. Right. Um, the other thing that's one of my favorite verses is Psalms 34, 18. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Mm. And he is near. You know, even, you know, I, in my heart, I've been praying for this podcast because I knew that my story included suicide um, and suicidal thoughts and attempts and all that stuff. And I would just say to you who are listening, he is near the brokenhearted and he saves. And I am a testimony. He saved me who was crushed in spirit. Mm. And not only did he save me, he gave me life. So now being at OBU, I had forgotten about the one month ultimatum that I gave the Lord until a couple of months ago. It just came up a couple of, I literally never thought about it. Cause once I got that call from the president, I knew that was God saying live. And I never thought about anything else. But live. Our president, our current president out of the blue asked me one day, are you happy? here and I I was like well yes and in my head I'm like well what a question to ask you know for two months I have wrestled with that question and I said Lord I am wrestling what is wrong and the Lord was like is happy the word and he brought the he brought it back to my remembrance what I told him and then he brought it to my remembrance that I freak out being the clinical director at OBU, and sometimes there's certain times where we build a waiting list. And I, I just, there's so much need. We can't meet everybody's need. And I was struggling with this. And I would be like, God, I, I don't want to lose a student, Lord. I don't want to lose a student. And, um, and so this summer, he brought that back to my memory. And he brought back to me just 
freaking out about losing a student. And I heard him say, I didn't even lose you. Mm. Are you going to trust me with these students? So I can't tell our president or anybody that I'm happy at OBU because how do you tell somebody that the place that's your memorial stone where God told you to live? I mean, happy can't. There's What word do you put on that? So no, I'm not happy. I'm sober-minded about it. I am reminded when I walk across that campus that God wanted me to live. And so to come back and usher life Mm -hmm. and to give these students life. But then I also have to trust God. And he's right. He did not even lose me. So now I am so much more intentional about praying over that wait list and trusting God and God give me creative ideas that even if we can't get them into counseling, what can I do? Like, show me how to reach them so that we don't lose them. I want them to know that God is near them mm-hmm. in their broken hearts and God will be near with them in, in their feeling crushed in the spirit. I want them to experience that. And that's what you do right now. Don't isn't the one mm-hmm. of your job descriptions yeah. that you are available to yeah. meet the students who need a therapist and you're there for them and you have Absolutely. a team. That's what is the day-to-day, right? Day-to-day, yeah. We are a true clinic, just like you go to any other therapist. Um, And we have our master's students, when they're ready to launch their career, they have to gain so many hours before they can confer their degree. So they start at the clinic. And it's a privilege to be a part of investing in a new generation of therapists, of people who bring healing and hope. Um, And yes, I meet with students, as I was today, um, meet with students. um, And that is my role. Part of me was like, God, did I take that much from OBU that this is my penis, girl. You took so much. (laughs) But um, and nobody knows that part of my story at OBU. I haven't never thought about it until the summer until after, you know, our president, Heath Thomas, asked me that question. And now I'm like, I don't know how to answer people's question. Are you happy at OBU? Because I don't know how to tell people this is my memorial stone. Hmm. I don't even know how to communicate that. So Yeah. And I think a memorial stone is a great picture. And I love it that you chose to talk about that, LaShawn. Um, one of the things that makes me think of is the part of the Bible where there's a, in fact, it's, a, it's in a, a hymn and our listeners may be familiar with it. Um, and it's talking about a verse that says, um, here I raise my Ebenezer. And that's referring to a mm-hmm. memorial stone. Mm-hmm. There by thy help I've come. Mm-hmm. Hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. And this, another part of the hymn says, um, I wander, but I don't want to. I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. So here's mm-hmm. my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Wow. And that's part of the, this beautiful reference that it's a memorial stone of God's work and love in our lives, in your life specifically, LaShawn, in this amazing moment. How significant 
Yeah. How special. It is pretty surreal. I, I tell people being at OBU is my God surprise. Um, now if you would have walked up to me, I'm like, you're right. That's not going to happen. Uh, and I, and I, I don't want the listeners to, I want to celebrate what God is doing, but I also want to be honest that there is still some phrase, you know, because when I came to OBU, I didn't come to OBU to get some great education and go off and be this, you know, it was my answer to live and the education piece came second. So one of the things I've really been struggling with in my identity is this sense of people who I went to school with and I went to school with our president. I went to school with the program director of our MFT program, um, Kanan. We, we grew up in youth group together. Yeah. Um, and they are geniuses. I mean, if you, they have phenomenal brains and I have struggled feeling like, the dumb girl in the room. Mm. Um, and you're not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in my head, I know that. And in my heart, I, I'm like, God, this feels like when I first came to OBU and I really struggled um, because I lost so much of my, you know, with trauma and what it does to the brain. And so I had lost a lot of my study skills because I just hadn't been using them. Um, and I had great professors that taught me. Um, I was so afraid to get a master's. I thought, oh, if undergrad was this hard for me. Um, and I excelled in my, you know, it was crazy. I'm like, why couldn't I have done this? Okay. Right. So, <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. so I do struggle um, with the identity thing. And and Kanan, you know, Dr. Craig, he's recognized it and he'll say things to me. And I was like, I am so not self-deprecating. Like, that's the one thing I ain't doing to myself, you know? But he would see it, and I didn't see it until the Lord brought up this story and all the things that connected with my trauma and just graduating with a poor GPA from high school and starting off not the best at OBU. And then I had phenomenal semesters, but it was my professors who caught it and said, you can do this work. And so now I've been at this place, like they all have PhDs. I'm a little behind y'all, you know? <laughs> I just wanted to graduate and go save the world. I apologize. I have not made world peace happen, you know? But, uh, <laughs> you know. So that's still afraid that I very much have to work through. Yeah. And I mean, I think our whole lives will have some, well, it, it may change, but we'll always have these phrase. So when you go to churches and talk about mental health, what are some of the things you tell pastors to look for or Mm -hmm. do or implement? Yeah, so I will tell you, I've been in full-time ministry and serving um, as part of executive pastor teams, uh, you know, launching churches, all that stuff. And what I saw was actual influx, like this crazy increase of mental health coming into the church. And um, I felt ill-equipped and I just have that personality that if anything's in my way even if it's my sin it has to be subjugated or is or we're gonna have to get some skills like I'm not gonna have anything in my way of being able to be all that I can be to invest on this earth and see people healed and whole and so it launched me to school and so one of the things I do now I'm fascinated by the brain 
Um, if I could do anything, I think I would go back for like neuroscience or something is just fascinating. So I teach people what's happening to them biologically because there really is something happening. Um, and I teach, you know, pastors that I really work with leaders to identify when is this beyond you? And that's really hard in helping them understand um, that biblically, there's nothing wrong with seeking counsel. Right. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with utilizing gifts that if you're not trained in this, it's okay. This does not deplete who Jesus is. He, he completed what he did on that cross. He doesn't need to do it again to prove nothing to anybody. Um, he left us as his disciples to continue to share the gospel, the truth, the hope for the reason why we believe. So really helping leaders in the church and clergy understand it does not diminish Christ. It does not. But we live in a broken world. And this is a manifestation of brokenness. But there are tools that can bring healing. Science has even shown that you can actually, where they used to say you ruin your brain with substances and all that, and you can't do anything about it. We see that that's not true. We see that if you take somebody like me, who's gone through trauma or forgive me, like kids who've gone through worse stuff than me that is living and are, um, you know, having a DHS system and in foster care and things like that, if you put them in a loving environment and their basic needs are met, they thrive. Like it is amazing what the brain can do. So I share both the hope and the reality of what it means to be in a broken world and that mental, dealing with a mental illness has nothing to do with who Christ is. And it has everything to do with the manifestation of living in a fallen world in a fleshly body. Hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. I love that you're going into churches and talking about mental health because I don't know that we do that enough in our churches. And I think sometimes the body suffers for that. Mm -hmm. And it hasn't, you know, happened as fast as I would like to, but I think, you know, one of the beauties for me is I'm a church girl. I tell people I was raised by the church, like for real, I know God because of church. Um, and I, because of being in ministry and serving in high level leadership and international ministry, so you're a fishbowl of life, right? Co-hosting, co-producing radio shows, being a part of with people that we all have heard their names, you know, um, I've had a fascinating life and I have seen leaders fall. I have seen families fall apart um, and I will tell you, it started for me as a teenager. I don't, I have told her this, so I'm sure she's okay publicly, but Carol Bybee was yeah. our school teacher. And I remember her walking when she had to step down because of, and I could not understand why she had to step down when it was her husband who was struggling. There was just a belief system back then. And I remember saying to God, and I remember even asking Trey, we are at their house all the time. Nobody saw he was struggling. Nobody. Now, I was a very mature kid because I had three little ones that I was helping. <laughs> so I'm like, nobody. And I remember just her tears when she had to tell our class. I was so mad that she had to leave and it didn't make sense to me. And so I got on my knees and I told the Lord, 
I want to see people broken before it's too late. I want to see their brokenness before it's too late. I want to help them before it's too late. And that catapulted, I think, a whole level of my life that I had no idea that I would be at this place. And I told Kara Bybee this story, like your story and your experience. And I felt so dear to her. It made me as a teenager ask the Lord to help me see people's pain, help me see their brokenness before it was too late and whatever I could do. I just wanted to see people heal. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank you you for allowing me. You're such a beautiful example, LaShawn, of redemption and God using the gifts that he has put inside you to help other people and taking what you have been through and seeing God use and turn these beautiful gifts from really who would have thought as a young child that I, you know, this child is destined for growing up and being a therapist and helping people Wow, what a what an example of God's love and power in your life. And you're just loving the Lord and loving other people and making a difference. I wonder how many people listening today just needed to be reminded, just like you said, so many, so many amazing things you said today, but just that like that God is still giving people dreams and visions mm-hmm. and that He was with you even when you you thought he was gone but he was never gone someone needed to hear that today mm-hmm. that God is with them and I just love your story I love your heart and I'm just like applauding you <laughs> standing ovation LaShawn <laughs> wow. I usually sob through the whole po- podcast like today so listeners <laughs> me if you heard this <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's a privilege. I, you know, I am, I have a dear friend. Her name is Michelle Womack and I love her. And uh, she tells me all the time, your story is so unique. And I would say, but it's not. I mean, God said live and I lived. And so all I did was be obedient to him. And I, in my head, never dawned on me to think that, well, in my head, anybody could have this. Like, I literally don't have anything special. It just happened to be the path that he took me on. And she was just like, I don't think you get it. And so I think coming back and to my beginnings has, I've always been grateful. I think I'm learning to own that maybe it's unique. I, you know, I still struggle with that because in my head, I'm like, but there's nothing God won't do for his people. He will do this for you. He will, it may not look like you're my path, right? Because he has a plan just for you. But I also realize that there are things and people who have poured into my life. Um, and I realize, man, what a treasure. Like these people are treasured. I mean, my first five years back here, you know, I've been back, I'm in my sixth year. And I've been with Pastor Sam Storms. Like, he, that's pretty huge. He's a theologian. He's all, you know, and you start thinking about, no, like you, you know, you mentioned Trey, Jill. I think these are pretty fascinating moments 
that I'm learning to more than just treasure that he saved me kind of thing, but really treasure these people heard from God. Yeah. That he spoke to them about you as well. Yes. And he directed my life through them, like really treasured those moments. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much from the bottom of our hearts for spending time with us today for the conversation and for your amazing story that you shared. We love you. Thank you, LaShawn. Thank you, guys. I love you guys, too. Thank you so much. Listeners, we are so glad that you spent time today listening to Afraid Not and hearing LaShawn Hill's story. Wow. What a blessing. I really got, I just had a moment that I needed to talk about when she talks about trauma and when bad things happen, that yes, God sees everything. And we tend to think, how, why did he allow that to happen? But that everybody involved has to make the choice to obey the Lord. And there is spiritual warfare and that we do have to be ready. The closer we get to the Lord, sometimes the enemy is going to attack even harder. So we have to keep our guards up at all times. Something very precious about the story LaShawn shared, I just can picture this tender moment, little eight-year-old LaShawn hearing her granny sing the song, Precious Lord, Take My Hand, Lead Me On, Help Me Stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm worn. I mean, that hymn and the fact that LaShawn listened and that was her moment of salvation, of Lord, take my hand. I need you. I mean, listeners, maybe you needed that today. Cry out to him. And something so awesome that LaShawn brought up was that as she right now is at Oklahoma Baptist University, that she is in a place that's a memorial stone in her life. And like 1 Samuel 7, 12, it's from the story when Samuel, the prophet, had led the Israelites to trust the Lord. And he saw, because of God's power, the enemies, the Philistines, literally, they were coming to defeat them. And it says in the Bible that the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into a panic. They were routed before. It was a huge victory for Israel. And so Samuel took a stone and said, this is a memorial stone. He named it a name, Ebenezer. And he said, this far the Lord has helped us. So what a moment to say, just recognize listeners in your own life, the memorial stones that the Lord has provided for you. Like the moment that LaShawn knew, God wants me to live, I'm gonna live for him. And that there are, Undoubtedly, there are moments that God has for you. And maybe you needed this story today just to remind you that He sees you. We are so glad that you are listening and we hope that you will continue to listen to Afraid Not. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, share the episode with your friends, and we will be back again in two weeks. Thanks for listening.